Coming up are the Miami Heat, the class of the NBA's Eastern Conference. Coach Mike Krzyzewski's final game at Cameron Indoor didn't go like he wanted it to, but could this be a springboard to a deep tournament run? No agreement means no baseball come March 31st as opening day has been postponed, but a new proposal by the players has been addressed to the owners. Can a settlement be not too far behind? The latest in the NHL, MMA, and a programming note to the podcast that you won't want to miss. I'll cover every corner of the sports landscape, but first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You could also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels Podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December. But what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it. He is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, in excellent spirits. We're smack dead in the middle of the sports dead zone, but I'll get you through it as we're slowly but surely coming out of it. There's still a few things to chat about, and I'll be sure to bring the fire and passion as always, as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first-timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me for now 241 episodes, I welcome you guys and gals back. It is a Monday, a rather mild Monday. As I look at the temperature, it is 61 degrees here on March the 7th in the year of our Lord, 2022, here in the Northeast. The J Reels What's the Deal segment. What's expected on this podcast is as follows. No deal was made last Tuesday between the players and owners in Major League Baseball. Now the players are scrambling around trying to do their best to not miss out on any games as they have delivered the latest proposal to the owners. Will the owners agree on this? There's a lot to get into on both sides, trying to avoid six more games being knocked off the schedule as opening day has been nixed for March 31st. You know I got a lot to get into on that later on. As well as, does Arizona Cardinal coach Cliff Kingsbury deserve that extension that he just received? I'll have that, and do I even need to address what's going on in Indianapolis with the scouting combine? You know, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, the scouting combine is something that I wouldn't watch as if it's in my backyard, so I'll spend a couple minutes on that. Mike Krzyzewski coached his final game at Cameron Indoor on Saturday against his arch rivals up the road in North Carolina. The Blue Devils couldn't deliver a win for Coach K, but will this loss be a rallying cry for bigger and better things down the road? I'll get into that as conference championship week is here. I'll have all that's happening on the ice in the NHL. In the Octagon, a score was settled between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal. I'll also have a programming note to share on the not-too-distant future of the podcast later on that you won't want to miss. All of that including my hero and zero of the week. As we get through these next eight days or so in the sports world with the NCAA tournament officially beginning a week from tomorrow, but we all know that the real tournament tips off 10 days from today on St. Patrick's Day of all days, as by then we'll have turned up the clocks, the days will be longer, hooray for that. Hopefully some milder temperatures, just as I said a few minutes ago, 61 and may reach 70, but I understand that's going to be fleeting. I'm sure Old Man Winter has one last gust in him to try to get us to feel that chill before we can actually turn our attention to spring. But with the weather reports aside, at the moment... We have an NBA season that will conclude in five weeks, 
An NHL season that, believe it or not, ends two days before May 1st. That's right. April 29th is the final day of the regular season. And baseball, for the time being, isn't coming anytime soon. Thankfully, there's still quite a bit to chew on as I'll get you through the sports universe and all that it has to offer. But I'm going to start with the NBA and college basketball, kind of meld them together. I'll kick off with the pro sport and then we'll get into the baseball negotiations as let's see what's going to happen there. They're going to reconvene again today in hopes of trying to salvage and maybe even save face to get this baseball season started somewhere around the middle of April. But the NBA is where I'm going to begin. As I said, basketball, the end of the regular season will take place in about five weeks from this coming Wednesday. Roughly 16 to 18 games to go, depending on which team you are. And it's interesting because I'm trying to look for an angle here as we're going through this sports dead zone. And as we know, we've discussed ad infinitum and ad nauseum, to be honest, when we touch on the Nets, the Sixers, the Lakers, etc., those narratives are starting to get a little bit tired. And I understand that those are the teams with the high-profile stars and get a lot of the burn when it comes to storylines, hot takes, etc. But here's one that you'll have to take into consideration because when we look at the NBA landscape and you look at this particular team that has won 11 of its last 13 games with plenty of home games to go, I believe 12 of their final 17 games are going to be played in their own building. They have a return of a player that, when you hear the name, you actually forget that he has played in the league. Because for the most part, it's been out of sight, out of mind. And I'll get to his name in a minute. To go along with three stars on the team, one aging, one a young budding star, and the other, not a superstar, but a guy who you could certainly bank on and be there when the... Chips are on the table, money on the line, as a guy that you would feel deep in your gut that he could come through in the clutch. No, it's not the aforementioned Nets or Sixers. No, it's not even the Phoenix Suns. No, it's not the Golden State Warriors who are skidding, and I'll get to them in a minute. Not the defending champion Bucks. And before you say, "Uh uh-oh, Jay Reels is going to go off the deep end about his Boston Celtics as they beat the Nets yesterday with a full team, or close to a full team, because obviously Ben Simmons wasn't there. You'll be wrong on that as well. If I told you that the Miami Heat are, at this very moment, the team to beat in the Eastern Conference, would you believe it? Well, you'd have to look at A, their record. B, that player that's going to be returning is the one Victor Oladipo. Remember him? To go along with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, Kyle Lowry, even Tyler Harrow who's the second leading scorer on the team. Couple that with the coach and Eric Spolstra. As we know, he's been down this road before, maybe not as a one seed, but having that championship pedigree, going back to the early part of the 2010s with the Heatles, LeBron, D-Way, Chris Bosh, I don't need to get into that. And even his team making it to an NBA final just two years ago, albeit in a bubble. But this is a team that I'm not going to say has crept up on us or we've slept on, because we knew Miami was going to be formidable, but you really have to think, can the East go through Miami come April, May, and June? It certainly begs the question, knowing that the other behemoths in the conference, whether you are the Sixers, and I'm going to throw the Nets in there, because I would consider that if everybody's healthy, KD, Kyrie, especially if you could play in the home games, and with Ben Simmons being part of the fabric in Brooklyn, you have to give them the benefit of the doubt, as well as the Bucks. I don't know about any other team. Can't put Cleveland there. All right, the Celtics with their run, and I'll talk about them too, but you have to look at the Heat as a team that possibly could come out of the East and be representative of an NBA final for that conference. And you can check the receipts. During my NBA preview, my NBA final matchup was the LA Clippers against the Miami Heat, and for the reasons that I'm about to explain. I just thought that the way the roster was constituted, knowing that you have that guy, Jimmy Butler, that in your gut you could trust, as we saw how he performed there in the bubble, no, he's not one of the top 15 players in the league, but he certainly has tremendous heart, tremendous guts. Yes, he does have the skill, 
and certainly has the experience to carry a team through a tough stretch, whether it be in a series, of course, throughout the course of a playoff, and obviously to an NBA final. Now that Laker team that they faced up against back in the bubble, when you have a healthy LeBron, Anthony Davis, etc., that's a tall order for any team. But with Butler, Bam Adebayo was a guy who was injured earlier this year, but we all know he's a very high IQ, intangible type player. Yes, he'll get you your points, but he's certainly a rim protector, gets a lot of rebounds, a lot of the grit and grime that you would love in an NBA player. You got that in a one Bam Adebayo. And then Kyle Lowry, a guy who's won a championship up in Toronto, who I get it, maybe long in the tooth, but he's actually a guy that is perfect for this team. I've talked about this in the past when it comes to teams trying to get that one player to get them over the top, and I get it. He's not a Kawhi Leonard. He's not a top echelon guy, but when you have a floor general, one who knows the game, knows the league, has been in situations where his teams were down 0-2 in a series, a la Milwaukee in the 2019 Eastern Conference Final. Knows his way around winning teams. That guy, you plug him into Miami, and it is a perfect fit for a team that's trying to get back to a final and win it. And then you want to throw in some of the younger guys, whether it's Tyler Harrow, also Duncan Robinson. We know about his three-point shooting and what he could do coming off the bench and a lot of other complimentary players that they have on that team. But the main focus are those guys that I mentioned. And then you throw in Victor Oladipo. And Oladipo, I get it. He's been decimated by injuries over the last few years. He's a guy that has had all-star ability, whether it was his days in Indiana. Obviously his days, not too many of them, but in Oklahoma City. And early on in his career, as he was building up his resume, when he was a member of the Orlando Magic. And when you bring a guy like that in who could, I'm not going to say be instant offense, but he is an offensive player. He's a guy that could put up points. Yes, is he going to be confused with the top scorers in the league? Is he going to be a James Harden? Is he going to be a Kevin Durant? Is he going to be a John Morant? Absolutely not. But when you have all those other pieces in place, and now you bring in Oladipo, it's almost as if you're bringing in a guy from the trade deadline that you didn't have and can give you that extra burst. And not only that, but it's also another headache for a team to have to defend when you already have guys like Jimmy Butler, when you have perimeter guys like Tyler Harrow, when you have a guy down low like Bam Adebayo, it gives the Heat another option. That if this guy can stay healthy on the court and play consistent, even close to what he did a couple of years ago, this Heat team is going to be dangerous. And I'm not going to say they're going to be overlooked, I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to be flying under the radar, but this is a team that's going to be taking a lot of notice with the fan, with the Dino NBA fan, and not only that, but also when you look at the NBA landscape. Because yes, we know who the teams are, as I mentioned at the top, and I'm not going to run through those lists again, and even the teams out west that we can look at and say, oh, it's going to be Phoenix, or maybe Utah, who knows about Memphis, Yes, Golden State, but the Miami Heat has to be plugged right in there. And I know a couple weeks ago when I was talking about the second half, or quote-unquote, let's say final third of the NBA season, yes, I did throw the Miami Heat in there, but with the way they've played, they've won 11 of their last 13 games, as I mentioned. They have 12 of the last 17 at home, so they have a lot of home cooking throughout the rest of the way. They've pretty much faced the bulk of their road schedule, and bringing in a piece like Oladipo to complement the rest of the roster that they have there now, how can this team not be a one seed? How can this team not be a threat to go to an NBA final? And how can they not even be favored? And yes, the other teams are sexier. When you have Harden and Embiid in Philadelphia, when you have Durant and Kyrie and throwing Ben Simmons in Brooklyn, when you have Giannis to go along with Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton, and they are the defending champs in Milwaukee. Yes, those are the teams that a lot of people are going to look at and say, I would rather put my money on them to come out of the East more so than the Heat. But it's the culture, the coach, and the way the roster and how they perform this year that, yes, 
maybe up until about this last week to 10 day stretch, they have flown under the radar and they've been close to the top and right now at the top of the Eastern Conference here for the last couple of weeks. So it's not as if they've been hovering around the five, six or seven seed here for most of the year. And then all of a sudden, bang, here they are. Number one in the Eastern Conference. That hasn't been the case. But you really have to take a look at this team as being a, not only going to be a tough out, but they're going to be a favorite. Now, we have to wait to see how the next five weeks play out. We have to see how the Nets, and granted, not that the Nets are going to thrust themselves to the top or even close to the top of the Eastern Conference. They're currently a game on the 500. And who knows when Ben Simmons is coming back. And he's had these back issues where, all right, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. He's ramping up his workout regimen. He's trying to get himself not only just in physical shape, but also in game shape. And they're going to treat this like kid gloves. They're going to hope that he has a good three weeks in the rest of the regular season, at least in him, so that come playoff time, they'll be raring to go. Who knows how the chemistry is going to be? That remains to be seen, but... I would believe that's what the Nets are going to do here over the final stretch of the season in order to get the reps and also to get Ben Simmons as close to as game ready as he can for the middle of April. But I thought to start off with the Heat because, as I've said pretty much throughout the last 10 minutes, this is a team I think it's going to be reckoned with. And not because I picked them as an NBA final and I believe I picked the Clippers to win And that's neither here nor there right now. Nobody cares. But this was a team that I felt that needs to be put on notice right now as we get through this sports dead zone, as we get to the back end and the home stretch of this NBA season as one that's going to be a favorite, if not the favorite, to come out of the East. And speaking of which, I get it. The Celtics, they've played well here. I know they had that nine-game winning streak going into the break before they lost on that final, uh, that Wednesday before the break itself. And yesterday, you can look at the exploits, really the last two games, how Jason Tatum has performed, especially against John Morant and Kevin Durant. And yesterday was a game where the Celtics have finally beaten the Nets because I know the last couple of times they played them, especially in Brooklyn, they had half a squad and they blew them out in both of the games. And even though no Ben Simmons, but it was a mano a mano, Jason Tatum versus Kevin Durant, even Kyrie there for a little bit. And the Celtics, I get it. The defensive metrics are through the roof. I understand they're starting to peak at the right time. You can look at some of those trades that they made earlier, bringing in a guy like Derek White, getting rid of the Josh Richardsons, the Dennis Schraders, those guys that really weren't contributing as much. And now you can look at this team moving forward as one that could maybe make some hay. And I understand they're currently fifth in the conference. It would be nice if they maybe could get up to third. They're currently a game and a half with two in the loss behind the Bucks for third in the Eastern Conference. And they're actually percentage points behind the Sixers who are in second in the East. But you have to look at what the Celtics have done here and take them a little bit more seriously. Also, Al Horford has contributed defensively, kind of taking you back to the Celtic teams when they made those runs to the Conference Finals going back four or five years ago. And you got to give... Ime Udoka, the coach, the rookie coach of the Celtics, some credit here because when you look at this team, almost at the halfway point, when they were 18-21, and 21, and I get it, it was all based on their wings, it was all on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and a lot of the discussion, whether it was throughout the league or certainly in Beantown, about how these guys can't coexist, how these guys, they pretty much cancel each other out on the floor because they're both threes, they play the same position, alright, maybe you could put Jalen Brown at the four, but they're both wings, they don't really complement each other, and they had to squash whatever, not necessarily beef, but rumors about whether or not that they could play consistently throughout the course of a season together and not only be productive, but also make their teammates better. And of course, this is a team that doesn't have a true point guard, but then again, a lot of teams don't. And they've been able to turn their season around ever since that point to where they could be a dangerous team come April and May. I still need to see a little bit more, and I get all the defensive numbers, and I'm not really a metric guy, as you know, but they do account for something. And they're going to need to play that way in the spring in order for them to get far. 
because you would think that when the competition gets tough, especially when you get past that first round and you know that you're going to have to clamp down not necessarily on one but two top stars on whichever team that may be, and you know that those players are going to get their points. It's just a matter of what you do with the complementary players. But with all that being said, I still need to see a little bit more from the Celtic team in order for me to believe that they could get back to a conference final and maybe even deeper. Because when you have teams like Miami, Philly, which size could be a problem, and even though they have Horford, but you know Horford isn't 28 years old. And even the Bucks, as we all know, Giannis is impossible to stop. But you got to like what you see from the Celtics, and I've been impressed here over the course of the last six to eight weeks. But let's see if they can continue to do so. And granted that the two games were at home, beating Memphis there on Friday, and then, of course, yesterday against the Nets. And then the other story has to be the Golden State Warriors at the moment because... The Warriors, who got off to that tremendous start and were neck and neck with Phoenix to the point where they have precipitously just fallen like a stone in the ocean to the tune to where there are percentage points ahead of the Grizzlies at the moment. And I get seeding isn't important for a team that knows their way around the playoffs and knows their way around deep postseason runs. But you have to be a little bit concerned about this Warrior team as they've not played well. They've lost eight of their last ten. In fact, they're only two games over five hundred since New Year's Day. And with the big loss of Draymond Green and the back, and you got to wonder whether or not that as much as you want to call Steph Curry being the heart and soul of the Warriors, well, the blood and guts right now as we look at it belongs to Draymond Green. We know what he brings to the game, the toughness, defense, rebounding. Yes, at times he could put the ball in the basket. I know he could get hot from three from time to time. Not that you rely on that when it comes to the Warriors and their offense, but we know what type of player Draymond Green is and how him not being in the lineup. You also got to throw in James Wiseman, the second-year player who a lot of people thought would make another leap this year, but he's been on the shelf, and who knows when he's going to return I got a good look to see the other night, Clay Thompson, who has had his moments since he's returned from those devastating injuries and back-to-back years, but Thompson didn't really look like his old self, and he's allowed to have a bad game or have an off night, understood, but you got to wonder if he's still been able to work out all the kinks there psychologically, not necessarily physically, and mentally to a certain extent, but you would think that this is going to be a test run for him between now and to get that confidence, to get that game shape, everything up to speed until we get to the middle of April. And then I would think we would see close to, if not top, Klay Thompson that we've come to know and love here throughout the course of his tenure as a member of the Golden State Warriors. But Golden State's a team that has pretty much been on cruise control. It can't be all Steph Curry. Yes, they have some very good complimentary players on their team, the Jordan Pools of the world. We know Kevon Looney is a guy that could be that Draymond Light, dare I say, but of course isn't anywhere close to a Draymond Green. And even a guy like Andrew Wiggins, who was an all-star, but did not play well the other night against the Lakers, at least from my estimation. And you kind of wonder if he's, I'm not going to say starting to run out of gas, but maybe starting to hit that wall, even though he is a seven-year vet or eight-year vet in the league. But the Warriors are a team that we're going to have to pay attention to because with them now neck and neck with Memphis and the Grizzlies, we all know they've played well over their heads this year and overachieved and good for them. But they could go as far as maybe being a four seed in the Western Conference and maybe that's one position that they don't want. Not to say that they would be afraid to go up against a Phoenix Sun team, but think about this. If they do happen to end up being a four seed, and Utah surpasses them, and Memphis continues to play well, and also will end up as a two, Memphis, your second-round matchup will be Golden State at Phoenix for seven games. And I don't know if you want, as a Warrior fan, to go up against a Sun team that, even without Chris Paul, has still played relatively well, and right now could pretty much put their feet up as a one-seed in the West with an eight-game lead over both Golden State and Memphis as of right this second. 
And yes, we can look at the other teams, the Dallas Mavericks and Denver Nuggets and go on down the list. But right now, the angle here in the NBA, I will look at it, is Miami and even Golden State to see if the Warriors, once they get Draymond back, can they put themselves in a position where they could get that two seed to have that matchup against the Phoenix Suns more so as a conference final than a second round series. And granted, even if they end up as a third seed, they're not going to see Phoenix until the conference finals anyway. But again, this is something you want to keep an eye on. We're inching closer to the end of the NBA season. And to me, those are the top storylines. Because other than that, I'm not going to get into what's happening with the Lakers or even with the Sixers for that matter. I know Kevin Durant came back and they actually lost to Miami in his return on Thursday night. And Durant says everything's going to be fine. We have 17 games to go. And they will be. They're going to make the postseason. They're pretty much the Lakers of the East when you look at it from a standpoint of them underachieving and not being healthy throughout the course of the year. But they'll be fine when it's all said and done. Lakers, they got that win against Golden State on Saturday, which was a relief. And you got to wonder whether or not if they're going to get any of their stars back healthy, in particular Anthony Davis. And I get it. Russell Westbrook added again with the media as far as envisioning this season in LA and asking the reporter, oh, what am I envisioning? Uh, Russ, you know, can you just answer the question and that's it? You've had a terrible season for your standards and now you want to get into spats with the media, which he has done in the past, so it's no secret, but at the same time, uh, this is not the time to do that. But that's what we have there in the NBA up until this point and we'll certainly take a look. As I said, a lot of teams have played anywhere between 63 to 66 games, and we're now pretty much going to get into that final stretch. Once we get to next week's podcast, we'll be three and a half weeks left of a season, or I said four and a half, ah, five and a half now, but about four and a half then, and you know the NBA will be front and center, although a lot of the basketball heads, and I know there are a ton of pro fans that are out there, And that's why I started with the basketball or the NBA. But now with the college, everything is going to be centered starting this week when we get into the conference championships, which a lot of them will start tomorrow and head through Saturday and into Sunday. The big story in college basketball over the week, obviously, was Saturday night down in Cameron Indoor, the final home game for one coach, Mike Krzyzewski. And I didn't pick up this game until the second half. I was at my in-laws having dinner. And obviously, I'm not going to be rude to say, hey, can I go watch the game in the living room? Of course not. But once dinner was over and I got to watch in there in the second half and just getting a pulse of the game up until that point where Duke had a sizable lead in the first half and then Carolina made their run to cut it to two. And then what could you say? Carolina just took over there in that second half, scoring 55 points. Just a phenomenal performance by their young kids in particular. Armando Baycott, he was a guy that was just a savage. He was 10 of 11 from the field, 23 points in the game. Also got contributions from guys like Brady Manick, who was delivering from three, shooting five of 10 behind the arc. RJ Davis also made a big contribution as well. And the Tar Heels just put it on them to where Duke didn't have any answers for those guys. They weren't able to put the pumpkin in the basket. And unfortunately for them, The final game in that building, coached by a one-coach K, was not to be victorious to where before the post-game ceremony, he went to the microphone and said, today was unacceptable. And even though the crowd was trying to cheer on and just try to encourage Mike Krzyzewski, but even said, "Uh, I don't want to hear it, Uh -uh." today was unacceptable, but they'll be back and the season was acceptable. And then, of course, I'll get to the post-game ceremonies afterwards so the first question based on that alone and of course you can't go on words and you can't come out to think that all right maybe this could be a rallying cry so to speak because they do have to get through a conference tournament here in the ACC but you got to wonder was that loss at home such a bad taste for Duke that they could go ahead and turn this around to where they go to Greensboro to play these games and run the table, blitz through the ACC, maybe have another rematch with North Carolina, which I'm sure would be revenge at its highest. And for them to go into the tournament, most likely as a two seed, and then 
let the chips fall where they may, come a week from whether it be this Thursday or Friday, depending on where they're going to play. As we know, I believe they're going to be in the Midwest because Krzyzewski is from Chicago, and I believe a couple of the games will be played at the United Center. So instead of Duke playing in the East, which they normally play in that bracket, his final go-around with them playing in the Midwest region and having a chance to go back home and to coach not only in his home state, but of course in the city that he grew up in, I'm sure it will be even extra nostalgic as he rides his career off into the sunset. But this could go two ways. It could go to where either Duke kind of fizzles out here, whether it be in the ACC tournament, and then now they try to get their sea legs to make a deep run to a Final Four. Or, yes, this game will be used as fuel for them to just obliterate the ACC and then have them, next thing you know, be one of the last four teams standing at the Final Four there in the first weekend of April. I can't predict it. Who knows? Of course, there's that part of me that would think this loss will burn in Coach K and he's going to address that with his players and the players, you know, they're going to be highly attuned, their antennas up high, knowing that they're they're going to want to go to the wall hard and fast for their coach to at least get to a Final Four because I'm sure that would be, and I get it, for Duke, Final Fours are moral victories. You want to win the entire tournament. You want to be the last team cutting the nets down. Understood. But as I said last week, with this tournament being so wide open, I mean, pretty much any team could end up being in the Final Four. I think that would be in itself, and I get it. The standard of Duke is championships. But if they get to a Final Four, and with all the pressure that went mount as every game passes, once you get past this week, because if he loses in the first round of the ACC tournament, yes, you could certainly question whether or not, oh, geez, can Duke even bounce back from this? Was that loss to Carolina that much more damning for them as far as them going and having a long postseason tournament? Those are all questions that I don't have the answers to. And this is why we watch sports. But I will say this. I think it would help that if they go to the ACC final, and I would say even win it, for them to get to a Final Four, then for them to lose at some point before then. Because not to say that there would be any doubt on Coach K or even their team, but I'm sure all the whispers and all the press clippings are going to be about, oh, does Duke have what it takes to make it to a Final Four in Coach K's last year there at the Blue Devils. And then the post-game real quick. Obviously, they had 96 former players show up. You saw everybody from Christian Leitner, Danny Ferry, obviously Jay Williams, Carlos Boozer. I could be here forever talking about who was there. Did I need to see T.O. there or Kyla Murray? Of course, Adam Silver was going to be there, and you can understand why, sitting next to Jerry Seinfeld. Okay, fine. Now, this is from the second half. I don't know who they showed in the first half as far as Celebrity Row, but we know Coach K is a guy that wants to just be out of the spotlight, does not want any attention focused on him, but he knows how big he is in the sport, and rightfully so, and I don't need to go through his entire resume, the 42 years, going back to even his days. I could go on forever when it comes to Coach K. That's a podcast unto itself. But of course, he had wonderful things to say about the institution, obviously, family, family being basketball. Not only that, with his wife that he's been with forever, with his kids, grandkids, etc. It was just uh, an emotional and wonderful scene. And would you expect anything less? Absolutely not. And what you take from that is that there's more basketball to be played. I look at what he said right after the game as opposed to what was said during that ceremony because you know that loss stung. And not because it was North Carolina. I would think more because it was at home. Their team performed well in the first half, and in the second half, it just fell apart. Did not play well defensively. Was not able to score. Paolo Bancaro looks like he's the only offensive threat that they have on the team. But 
I think we're still going to hear from Duke here. I'd be surprised if they don't win the ACC, and I get it that any of these teams could pick them off. But I'm sure that this is going to burn, and the bad taste that's in Coach K's mouth right now, I'm sure that's going to be delivered to the players and, and trying to cut the nets down one last time for the ACC tournament in order for them to propel themselves to the tournament itself. And we shall see. Now we have Selection Sunday just six days away. Of course, a week from today, I'll get into, obviously, the brackets, all of wall-to-wall, March Madness, and again, we have a week from tomorrow where we'll have those playing games, you'll have those two 11 seeds, and then the two 16 seeds go at it. I obviously don't know what the breakdown's going to be as of this moment, but We'll have the Tuesday-Wednesday games, and obviously the winner of the Tuesday games will play on Thursday, and then the Wednesday winners will play on Friday. And again, a week from today, 10 days on St. Patrick's Day, the tournament will kick off. And hopefully we'll get out of that stretch of this sports dead zone, because that Thursday-Friday is exciting. Everybody's in the office right now. We don't have to worry about deep into the pandemic as it was kind of last year and obviously the year before that when we didn't even have a tournament. But I'm sure the office pools will be flowing and a lot of people will be paying attention to the scores, checking their brackets, etc. And it's a fun time. And even though with no baseball, and I'll segue to that in a second, but even though with no baseball and not having those spring training games and not looking forward to... What to expect, especially here in New York, whether it's the Mets or Yankees or wherever your team may be in wherever part of the country you may live. At least we have this to hang our hats on as we try to get through the rest of an NBA and NHL season at this juncture of the sports calendar. And other than that, college basketball is pretty much going to be the same when we look at the standings or the rankings, I should say. Not a lot of movement. I know you've had some losses there, more so at the bottom of the top 25. But again, it's all going to be about Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, teams like that that are going to look for one seeds in each of their regions come a week from today, or really six days from now. What happens with those teams, a lot of people are going to keep their eyes on to see whether or not those teams maybe even slip to a two seed. But right now, as constituted, you would think it's going to be Gonzaga, Arizona, Baylor, I don't know who's that. who will be that fourth seed at the moment. I could be a toss-up depending on what these teams do in their conference tournaments, whether it would be Duke, whether it would be Auburn, Kansas, Kentucky, even Purdue for that matter. That all remains to be seen. And you know, come this time next week, I'll be elbows deep into everything that's going on with college basketball. All right, let's get into it. Major League Baseball, as we know, The opening six games are postponed, or really canceled, let's just say it as we call it. And let's backtrack to a week ago, up until this very moment, because we have to chronicle what has taken place. And I know I had a video on my social media accounts, you could check that out if you want. I understand it's perishable because it's six days old, but I shared some thoughts there on Tuesday when the players nixed the owner's proposal last Tuesday, and I'll start there because when I was last recording, they were going into that Monday effort all day, they figured that that was a pivotal day in order for them to try to get the season on time, to get opening day come March 31st, and what we now have seen since then is that both teams were hunkered down in Jupiter, Florida, to the tune where they came out of a meeting at 2.30 in the morning this close from settling. And for whatever the reason, from 2.30 to about sometime Tuesday afternoon, there was a shift. There was a change of attitude. There was a change pretty much across the board to the point where the players said no to this, no to that, no, we're not going to, Go with that as well, and we're going to put a thumbs down on the latest agreement by the owners. And they walked out of that meeting around 5 o'clock saying, you could kiss the first six games goodbye. 
And as the dust settled from that very moment, and where Rob Manfred then addressed the media and pretty much laid out what was brought on a silver platter to the players, where the minimum wage was going to go up roughly $150,000 from the $550,000 average entry-level baseball player to $700,000, that there was going to be a draft lottery so there'd be no tanking, which would be the first of its kind, the removal of a draft pick penalty, meaning that no compensation if a team gives a qualifying offer that they don't have to worry about giving up their first-round pick, the bonus pool, which was the player's idea to create a pre-arbitration scenario where players would be given more money I believe it was $30 million that was going to be put into that pot, which never existed before. Now, the players wanted $85 million, but the owners were looking at $30 million. Also, the players did turn down the 14-team postseason proposal, where that's one thing they want to keep in their back pocket because they feel as if, if there are more playoff teams, that means a lot of teams that are out of it will pawn players off and that goes back to the whole tanking thing to a certain degree, but they certainly thumb their nose at that because they also feel that they're going to disincentivize these teams that were out of it and just pulling off these players. We all know the CBT, that's the stickling point, and we've talked about that over the last couple of weeks. But here's the problem that I have with these negotiations and especially how they fizzled there last Tuesday. It's been reported that the main person that has had their fingerprints, and it's to no surprise, but as much power that this guy wields, he should not by any means be a part of what's taking place here between Tony Clark, Bruce Meyer, down the line, and of course Rob Manfred, Dan Hallam, and the owner side. Scott Boris needs to just go away. And we get it. We understand the roster of players that he has that are in his briefcase and in his binders that could, that they're staggering. And that's all there is to it. But for him to then pass off whatever that was said between Max Scherzer and Boris to where he sends Scherzer into that meeting on Tuesday to say, No to this, no to that, everything I mentioned before. And from what was reported, not only by owners, but also by agents, the behavior of Max Scherzer going in there just yelling, screaming, acting a fool, just flexing his muscles, maybe not literally, but figuratively, and to the point where they just stormed out of that meeting thinking that the owners must have looked around and said, what just hit us? And for Boris, I get it. We understand the power that he has. We understand that he is a major player, but can he be a little bit in the weeds or in the background here and not be front and center? And I understand also this, that the executive board of those eight players that are in that room talking with the owners are his clients, including a one Max Scherzer. And it's a shame because when we look at the player landscape, of course, the guys that are making... 30, 35, 40 million dollars are going to be the ones that are going to have their say. It's the reliever, it's the fifth starter, although they get paid handsomely, the utility guy, the pinch hitter. What about their voices? It's almost as if they have to kowtow to the guys that are making exorbitant amount of money to where, not to say that they're just scratching and clawing by because Nobody's going to sneeze at $550,000 a year if you're making that, or $800,000, or maybe just slightly over a million. But where's their voice in all this? Because I'm sure if you poll all the players, a majority is going to say, hey, let's get back out there. I need to play. I have a family to feed. I have a mortgage. And granted, nobody's going to have crocodile tears for these players that are making that kind of money. But when you have the giants in the sport that are these players that are making money that we couldn't even imagine, having a say for the smaller guy, 
And for Anthony Rizzo to say, oh, we're doing this for the future generation. No, you're not. Because the future guy is going to get paid, as we've talked about week after week after week, whether your name is Juan DeFranco, Fernando Tatis Jr., Juan Soto, when his payday's coming up, those guys are going to get paid. So you could cross those guys off. What I don't like is that not only just Boris, but the representatives that are in the room aren't those smaller guys that would definitely carry a little bit more weight than the guy who's making $40 million. Because they want to talk about competitive balance, then if that's the case, why didn't Max Scherzer sign with the Pittsburgh Pirates? Or the Cleveland Indians? Not that those teams could afford him, but you get my drift. And now, let's fast forward to where over the weekend, in particular yesterday, the players are now trying to bring over their silver platter, whether it's the CBT or even the scenario with the salary compensation, the arbitration, I should say. The owners, as they are probably looking at it, they're not worrying about trying to get the season off, let's say, April 7th or 15th. They're probably looking more May 1st, May 15th. Because remember, yes, they took a ginormous hit there during the pandemic, especially in 2020 and at the start of last year. But they know that a lot of the gate, especially in the colder weather cities, whether in the Northeast or in the Midwest, they're not going to make anything. Yes, they're going to get gate, they're going to get parking, concessions, I get it. But it's going to be a pittance in comparison to around Memorial Day or definitely in the teeth of the summer when they're going to get anywhere between thirty to 50,000 fans in the ballpark. So now the players almost have to come back and make some concessions here in order for this to work because the owners are going to stand pat. It's like, this is our proposal. We thought we were giving up a lot. And again, I'm not a player, so I don't know what they're giving, but it sure looked like whatever the owners were putting forth here was pretty reasonable. But now the players, like I said, they want to have that $85 million compensation when it comes to arbitration, where the owners want 30. Originally, I believe it was 25, and they moved up to 30. And that's still 55 million off. That I bet you, even if the owners said, all right, we'll give you 50, but we're not going any higher, I'm sure the players would say, how about 70? And that's not going to happen. That's not going to be baseball. And again, I'm not a player, so I don't know what's best. Maybe they're asking for the sun, moon, and stars and the entire galaxy because of what happened in the previous two negotiations where they were pretty much raked over the coals, but that was their own doing. I'm sure they could have said, hey, let's wait this out. Or, hey, no, we got to come back a little stronger or harder. They didn't do that. And with the CBT, we get it. They do not want to have the loosely based term of a salary cap when it comes to this threshold with the CBT. They want it somewhere around $263 million. They want it to start at 238 but to end at the end of the agreement at 263 But as we all know, it's starting at 220 and it's going to go up to 230 over the course of the next five years. So we know they're far apart between that and then that arbitration pool. And I can't see this thing getting done at any point. And even with the players coming out in this proposal yesterday saying that, all right, we'll agree to a pitch clock. We'll also agree to, shockingly, no shift. And rightfully so, because the players, especially the hitters, with everything that's been taught going back, I'm sure, to the minor leagues with launch angle and this stupid exit velocity and, oh, let's hit it over the shift and do the shift. If they ban the shift, that's going to... uh, That's going to be golden for the sport. But right now, we're so far apart with these negotiations that unless a miracle happens, and right, will this get done at some point? Of course it will. I think we'll probably see baseball maybe May 1st, maybe May 15th, maybe even Memorial Day. I think we will see baseball. But if those are going to be the two things that are going to be the ills of the players and owners again being the arbitration and, of course, the CBT, there's no way they're going to come out with any agreement, whether it be later today, tomorrow, or at some point this coming week. And as it is right now, they're going to have to cancel the next six games, so that means your schedule is going to be at 148 at best 
if nothing is agreed by, let's say, tomorrow come 5 o'clock. And I'm with the players on this. Blow it up. Forget about it. Let's start over. But again, if you blow it up, the first thing that's going to be brought is the salary cap. And we all know the players don't want that. But look what it's done for the NFL. Look what it's done for the NBA, NHL, etc. Baseball doesn't want that because, as I've said, free market, making $350, $400 million, dare I say $500 million, that's going to be a thing of the past if there's a salary cap. That's why the players don't want it. But, to me, it'd be best if they just exploded the whole thing, start over, and work their way up. But we all know that's not going to happen because if baseball is gone for a whole season, if they did that, not myself. I'll be a fool and come back because of all the years I've invested in watching the sport, but boy, there is going to be a carnage of baseball fans, young and old, that are just going to put up two middle fingers to the sport and say, the hell with you guys. You could bank on that if they happen to drag this sucker out. Dare I even say to Memorial Day, but even more so into the summer and then no season at all. Because please, if this thing becomes even an 80-game season, it's going to be like 2020 all over again. And we can understand 2020 because of the pandemic. But what's the excuse now? We shall see how this all unfolds here in the days to come. And one other surprising note from last week. Down in Miami where Derek Jeter stepped down as CEO and shareholder of the Miami Marlins. Of course, he came in at the end of 2017 with Bruce Sherman. Him being the CEO and pretty much over seeing all the operations there for a Marlin team, as we all know, has been on lean times. They did have some years there where they've had the talent more so on the offensive side, whether your name is Giancarlo Stanton, Kristen Yelich, Marcelo Zuna, D. Gordon. They did have, of course, Jose Fernandez, who sadly died tragically in that boat accident many years ago. But for the Marlins to have a guy like Jeter in the fold and then For him to then step down because, as he stated, the vision for the future of the franchise is different than the one that I signed up to lead. What does that tell you? It's almost as if the Jeffrey Loria ghost is hanging over Marlins Park or Lone Depot Park, whatever it's called now, to where it's almost as if they're probably going to go back to square one, even though they have good young pitching and they have probably some young players that are coming up the pike, but is this going to be another rebuild maybe get to a postseason and win a World Series and then tear it down like they've done in 97 and in 2003. And it's a shame for the six Marlin fans that are out there that that's going to be the case, but if Jeter had the exit stage left, then boy, there's got to be some serious behind-the-scenes, I don't I don't want to say problems or troubles, whatever, but uh, for him to just not only step down as CEO, but even give up his portion of the team. Is all you need to know. And then, of course, you have some of the Yankee fans. Oh, have him come back to the Bronx. He could be part of the Yankees. I don't even know if he wants that. I'm sure he still wants to be part of a team in baseball to some degree, whether it's part owner. Who knows? But we know Derek Jeter has lofty expectations. I don't think he wants to be a GM or even a VP of baseball operations, let's say, for the Yankees, because that's just another added pressure for him. And if that doesn't go well, does that tarnish a little bit of his playing legacy? But anyway, I digress. Jeter now, who knows what the next part of his baseball life is going to be. But it's certainly not going to continue in Miami, as I just detailed. And that's a shame when you think about it, because to have a guy like that and a name like that to be part of an organization that, even with the two championships, has been a woebegone franchise. But to stake some credibility... And also, maybe at some point when they get good or get better, some relevancy, you can forget about that. So who knows what's going to happen there in Miami in the years to come. All right, I'm going to zip through a couple of quickies here before I bid adieu. One, in the NHL, everything is pretty much status quo throughout the league. The only noteworthy thing to discuss is Alexander Ovechkin. He's now two goals away from tying Yaromir Yager for third all-time. He's at 764. And what could you say? The guy has just been phenomenal. What is he, 36 years old? And the guy's not slowing down at all. And you wonder, with the games that were robbed of him 
at the back end of the pandemic in 2020, and then with the 56-game season last year, you had 26 games taken away from him. He would have been probably over 800, and looking at Wayne Gretzky is the only guy that's ahead of him. And of course, after Yager is Gordie Howe at 801, which he won't get to until next year. But who knows, unless he has a flurry that we haven't seen in quite some time, but that's still 34 goals away, and we know that that's not going to happen. But Ovechkin, two goals away from Miyarama Yager, We'll keep an eye on that, but everything's pretty much status quo, and like I said at the top, you still have seven weeks from this coming Friday is the end of the regular season in the NHL, and you still have a trade deadline, which is two weeks from today. So just when you think the NBA season starting to wind down just a little bit, we're getting to that home stretch, and you're thinking, hey, isn't the NHL season not too far behind, or don't they usually finish their games beforehand? Not this year, because remember... The NHL players were going to go play in the Olympics in Beijing. Obviously, that didn't happen, so they remade a lot of the games or replayed the games that were lost in the schedule early in the year due to COVID. So you had that, and with the season ending a few weeks later after the NBA season, you have a scenario where two days before the month of May is when your NHL season concludes. So still have plenty to talk about there. That's number one. Number two, I can't get into this combine stuff, and I never have and never will. So I don't care who ran the fastest 40 or was the second fastest. I know this one cornerback from Baylor was very impressive. But again, I need to see this in real time. In a climate-controlled environment, yes, it may be impressive. Yes, it may be superlative. But I need to see this in pads. I need to see this in game competition. So I'm not going to take any of that for what it's worth. And I'm sorry, I just can't see... Why a guy that ran a 4-2-40 is going to impress me when I need to see this come September, October, November, December. So you can forget about that. But the one puzzling thing of the past week was Cliff Kingsbury getting an extension. And I know a lot of the talk so far this offseason has been about Kyler Murray and him being embarrassed by the organization based on that playoff game against the Rams. And then him coming back to the table with his agent about how he wants to resign with the Cardinals, and be a part of the long-term solution to this franchise. But for Kingsbury to get that extension, and I don't know what the terms were, came to me as an absolute shock, and I get it. You want to have a coach-quarterback continuity. You don't want to have a revolving door there. And understood, they started off 7-0, and and they were 11-6, and but they fizzled out toward the end, and again, they were just a complete as... Murray said an embarrassment in that game, and he included. So he needs to look in the mirror before he looks at the rest of his teammates. But why did Kingsbury get an extension is beyond me. If I was the owner there, Michael Bidwell, I'd say, all right, Cliff, great year. I understand we can renew your contract, but let's see what happens this upcoming year, and away we go. We know the quarterback isn't going to go anywhere. These guys don't grow on trees. Murray does have ability, albeit small, but... We need to see a lot more, especially in big games, for him to be able to produce. And so far, in this past season alone, getting off to that hot start and then making it to the playoffs, and they had a chance to win a division where they could have had a game at home, and we saw what happened. And again, their playoff chances went up in smoke there in L.A. in that wildcard game on the Monday night. So, to me, a little bit too premature to sign Kingsbury. It's not as if this guy's won division titles or have won playoff games or anything like that he's still to me the jury's out on whether or not he can be that guy and right now he's kind of in the middle so let's see if he could have a carbon copy based on the record itself or even a little bit better this upcoming year in order for that extension to stick so we'll see how that goes and then lastly we had an MMA batch there on Saturday night between Colby Covington and Jorge Masvidal, where he won convincingly and they were former friends, but then there was a lot of reports about Covington saying that he was backstabbed by Masvidal and for whatever the reason there was just a lot of bitterness there and even though Masvidal had a couple of moments there where he got to Covington, but he was certainly no match. This was one that I'm sure Covington had circled and knew that he was just going to go all out and win convincingly in which he did there with a unanimous decision there Saturday night. I believe, what was that? UFC 274 off the top of my head. And Covington, who has a big mouth and obviously 
caters to a certain fraction of people here in this country, and I won't even go there with that, but I'm sure you could connect the dots and read between the lines as to what direction I'm going with. And hey, if that's what he wants to do, God bless him. I'm not against him or for him for that, but that's Covington's deal, and God bless him for that. But for those who follow the sport and Covington being a guy that is going to look ahead to see who will be next on his radar and next to come in to try to either wrestle, strangle, knock out, or tap out. Of course, a guy like Covington is one that we'll certainly keep an eye on here in the weeks and months to come. All right, so let's get to it, people, my hero, and zero of the week as we get to wrap up. But wait a second. Before I even get to that, and of course that was obviously not necessarily premeditated or trying to shift the balance of this podcast, but I do have one note that I want to say before I get to my heroines of the week. It is March the 7th, and obviously plenty more shows to come in the weeks to come, but one month from today, which will be Thursday, April the 7th, yours truly is going to go twice a week. And also on that April 7th date will be the start of the Masters, which is something I would have talked about that Monday leading in. But yes, you heard it right. I will have my show come April 4th, that Monday, and then just three days later, April the 7th, there will be two shows from there on out. So I'm going to publish my usual Monday weekly recap, and then I will have a second show on Thursday to kind of discuss what's happening in the middle of the week, and of course, will lead us up into the weekend. So two shows for you. Starting the week of April 4th, but of course, once again, April 7th, you're going to have that second show. I've always wanted to do two shows. I always felt that to have my weekly recap on a Monday and get us ready for the upcoming week and then to have a Thursday show, which would have been predicated by having a guest. I still plan to have guests. I'm still working on that behind the scenes. As I've said time after time, your boy's running an independent operation. So it's not as if I have interns. It's not as if I have a team here that I could just have people concentrate or have that person concentrate on getting guests or working on marketing or merchandise or things of that nature. No, your boy does it all. So I wear many hats here. And most importantly is to produce, edit, write, and host this podcast. But yes, I'm coming at you twice starting next month, the early part of the month, April 4th. And then of course, a month from today, April 7th, you'll get show number two and moving forward every Thursday as well. So take note, the J Reels podcast is ready to do bigger and better things, to get out there more, to get the exposure, to increase that visibility, and I'll talk about that a little bit more after my Hero and Zero of the Week, so let's get to it. My Hero of the Week goes to Keontae Johnson. He is the Florida Gator forward who collapsed during a game back in December 2020, if you recall. Senior day was a couple days ago where he started. Now, granted, he only played 10 seconds in his first time on the court, and he didn't even practice leading up to this game here on Saturday. But he was able to be a part of the opening tip-off, was able to dribble the ball, and then call timeout. He went to the center court, kissed the logo, the Gator logo there. Just an emotional scene as there was a standing ovation, and rightfully so, in his first action since that moment. And what could you say? I remember when it happened, and there was a lot of talk Brings back memories of Hank Gathers, sadly, the days of Loyola Marymount, as well as Reggie Lewis in the NBA when he collapsed in that home playoff game against Charlotte in 93 in Game 1. But for Keontae Johnson and for him to get an opportunity to be on that floor with his teammates one more time, just a great scene to witness. So, Keontae, you're my hero of the week. And my zero of the week, and I have to do this, unfortunately, goes to Brittany Griner. The former Phoenix Mercury center who was caught at a Russian airport with hashish oil. I guess you didn't see the movie Midnight Express. And for those, go back in the archives, which was actually nominated for Best Picture. As she was going through security, they had found hashish oil on her to where now she's detained. And now from all reports, who knows what it's going to take for the authorities to get her out of Russia. And we all know what the hell's going on there. And it's certainly not a pretty scene. 
And whether she thought it was a small sample, I don't know how much it was, but whether it was small, medium, large, whatever, and again, I'm sure it wasn't taped to her body as it was depicted in the movie, Midnight Express, but boy, you talk about a dice roll. Brittany, you should have known better, and I get it that you probably thought once you get to the States, you'd be fine with it. It's hashish, whatever, but knowing that you had to get through the airport with that and with everything that's happening in the world, not just with security. She could have done that in any country, let alone Russia, but because of Russia and just having to now wonder and worry whether or not that she's actually going to be back in the States and what type of conditions that she's in right now, she definitely should have used better judgment. And right, who am I to say what she should have done or not done or whatever, but man, that is just a costly mistake and hopefully it just doesn't have her go down just a terrible road when it comes to her mental, emotional, and spiritual health, but Brittany, I'm sorry, my dear. You are my zero of the week. That'll do it, episode 241. I thank all of you who have tuned in to listen, not just today, but also in the past, whether you've been with me from the very beginning or if this is your first time. Thank you so much for spending some time with me, for taking a chance on your boy to listen to what it is to have to say about what goes on in the world of sports. And if you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Again, that's going to increase the visibility, as I mentioned just a few minutes ago. So do what you got to do. Throw me a few stars. Write a review. Take a screenshot on social media. Send it to me. Send it to your friends, to the sports fan in your life, whether they're the casual or diehard variety. Please do so because I am not going anywhere, people. This is what I love to talk about. This is what I love to get into, which I'll stress in a minute. And if you want to hit me up on any of my social media accounts, you could do so on Instagram, J Reels, or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page, or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please send any questions, comments, criticisms, screenshots my way. I'll be sure to post them and follow up with you ASAP. And then finally, if you want to contribute to this podcast, you could do so at www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A, T as in Tom, R, E, O, N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, I plan to put out this platform a lot more, especially when I start doing two podcasts a week. What that's going to do is put 100% toward this endeavor, whether it's the upkeep of the website, more equipment, the production, the overall production of this podcast. I plan to put out exclusive content once I start getting the ball rolling here with this Patreon platform. Again, whatever you want to contribute, I would be totally grateful And thankful for whatever it is that you want to put forth. Because whether you do or do not know, people, this is what I love to talk about. I've been doing this for now four plus years. Yes, I did have an anniversary on March the 1st. I know I didn't have any pomp and circumstance to get into. But I do thank you guys and gals for following me throughout the last four years. And hopefully you'll be with me for the next 444, as I said last week. Because this is what I love to talk about, people. Sports has been in my blood since birth. It's been in my DNA. Ask anybody in my family. My wife is sick about sports. She knows that this is where I want to go, so God bless her for it. But when I say she's sick about it because, again, I can't get enough of it. It's been in the DNA and in the blood since birth to get into anything and everything with thoughts, opinions, analysis, critiques on all that's happening in the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, octagon, boxing ring, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby. <laughs>